Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.01 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is, what, May the 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 718 of Bitcoin. And let's check in on our good friend, Balaji. How's your bet doing, Balaji? I just burned a million to tell you they're printing trillions. First, I'm going to talk about the million, then the trillions. So remember that million-dollar bet from a few weeks ago? I actually settled it up front. I settled it early, $500,000 to Bitcoin Core, $500,000 to GiveDirectly, $500,000 to Medlock. You can check those links on chain. You can read details at balajs.com front slash fiat. There are just some legal details to work out, but that is now done. That's provable. You can go and check it. So that takes care of the million. Uh, that's a proof of work. Well, it is a proof of work. I'll give them that. Uh, so, you know, many people at this point might be asking themselves, you know, why go through it? Why go through the whole exercise of, Make it a million-dollar bet on something that you know is not even remotely possible. A mil- for, for Bitcoin to reach a million dollars in the time span that Balaji was talking about would signal the utter death, the physical death of worldwide financial legacy systems and cities would burn and people would be freaking out not because Bitcoin went to a million. They might not even know anything about Bitcoin at all and they'd still be freaking out. Why? Because everything is crumbling around them. So why do it? Well, I have a theory. Balaji doesn't need the money, A. And B, Balaji, he is, you know, that part of his thing is being in the public spotlight. So... If you burn a million dollars on marketing, what happens? Well, you're in the spotlight for well over a month, right? So we're about a month into this thing. He collapses his bet. What are we still talking about? We're still talking about Balaji and Balaji's million dollar bet. But more importantly, we're talking about Balaji. It worked. I mean, sure, is it pricey? Because he's actually a little bit more in than a million dollars as you heard. But for, you know... He, he's still in the news. People are still talking about him. Nobody's forgotten who the hell Balaji is. You know, so even though it was a pricey, you know, a fairly pricey price tag to put on the marketing, it worked. But I, I honestly think Balaji has, he, that he's not really screwing around when he's trying to raise awareness of just how bad this shit really is. So let's listen to him talk about acceleration. Now let's talk about the trillions. So the reason that I did this is I wanted to tell you in a provable way that uh, to send a provable signal that there was something wrong in the economy. I'm not in the habit of just burning a million bucks for the sake of it. Uh, There's something wrong in the economy and the state isn't telling you about it. 
and things could unwind very fast. And just to give you a sense of how fast, well, it was two days from the collapse of SVB to the uh, government printing $300 billion. It was two weeks for $500 billion to make its way out of local banks seeking safety. It was two months from patient zero of the coronavirus hitting the US after weeks of denial, suddenly lockdown came in March with very little warning, so just two months. It was two quarters from when Ben Bernanke said it was going to be only a mild recession in 2008 to the global financial crisis being acknowledged as such in September 2008. And it was two years for the USSR to go from superpower to total collapse. And so in each of these cases, too slow was being too late. Uh, and uh, the thing is, right now in the economy, many things are breaking at once. Yeah, he's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. And this particular video was clipped. Well, I clipped it. It was like, I think the whole thing is like 10 minutes long. And it's a companion piece. It's, he put out a tweet. It's got this video in it. But that whole thing is in his blog, which is balajis.com. B-A-L-A-J-I-S dot com. Uh, I don't think you pronounce the S, but I just wanted to pronounce it here. So if you wanted to go to his blog, you can actually read it for yourself. I'm going to read this one part. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is sort of where we're at. The question is how and when. One, first, how will the United States default? Is it a hard default where some are explicitly told that they aren't getting paid like the ongoing debt ceiling crisis? Or is it a soft default where trillions are printed to pay the obligations in nominal terms? Or is it perhaps a chaotic mix of both? And number two, when does the U.S. default? Is it months, years, decades, or centuries? How and when? Here's how one might make the case for U.S. default in months, years, decades, or centuries. Number one, <clears throat> the case for months is debt ceiling, explicit U.S. sovereign default, and a banking crisis. Number two is the case for years, and it's both of these factors, plus the dozen other crises described in the video, plus all the factors Dalio and Turchin enumerate, plus the domestic chaos of the 2024 election. Yeah, that nobody really sees that shit on the horizon, do they? We're all being distracted away from that shit. <laughs> okay, so number three, the case for decades is all of the above plus more gradual de-dollarization and the continued relative decline of G7 GDP share relative to the BRICS nations. Finally, four, and the case for centuries is that there's a great deal of ruin in a nation and the system will somehow muddle through. Most people land here by default. After all, the system has made it through the Civil War, the Great Depression, two world wars and 30 plus recessions. So they assign 100% probability to a life expectancy of centuries. And that's really what it boils down to. If you believe there's a high probability of these simulation, simultaneous economic crises causing a massive print in 90 days, 900 days, or even 90 months, then you expect some kind of default and you expect fiat crisis. And you'll want to be prepared, whatever the hell that means to you. But if you believe the system has centuries to live, that the banking crisis isn't a big deal, 
that de-dollarization isn't happening, that only dumb banks didn't hedge against the Fed's rate hikes, that politicians will do the right thing after doing everything else, and that the Fed has printed its way through the last umpteen years, so it'll just be more of the same in 2023, then you do not expect default, and you do not expect a fiat crisis. Of course, the idea that the system will fail at any moment has been the perma-bear position for like 15 years. I like Zero Hedge, but they'll be the first to admit that in a system where every economic indicator is expertly faked, from the AAA ratings on subprime mortgages to the solvency of massive banks, it's hard to say when something will be allowed to fail. Yet on the other hand, those who warned of the financial crisis before 2008 were dismissed as doom mongers and the property bubble was allowed to inflate absurdly. While it might sound like it, it hold on, <laughs> while it might sound like it in this post, I'm really not a doom monger at all. The only time I've ever raised an alarm like this was January 2020, months before COVID-19 went viral. Indeed, most people most of the time would consider me a techno-optimist, but I'm a realist. And personally, I think the United States has a 10% chance of defaulting in months, 70% chance in years, and a 19% chance in decade, and a 1% chance of making it to centuries, whether that default be explicit or more likely implicit via money printing. I don't think default is the end of the world, not even the world wars were, but I do think it's going to be a disruptive period that merits careful preparation as opposed to either passivity or panic. Nevertheless, I'm still optimistic on individual Americans, on America at the state and local level, and on technological progress globally. In fact, there's much to be said in later posts on ways that people can survive and even thrive in this environment. But before we talk about solutions, we need to first determine whether there's a problem. You've watched the video, clicked the links, and read the post. Make up your own mind below. Okay, so he's giving percentages on chances of default, you know, as, as in terms of when and giving a, what did he give a 19% chance, a 10% chance of defaulting in months and a 70% chance in years and a 19% chance in decades and 1% chance in centuries. It ain't going to make centuries. <laughs> Although I have, I got it. I, I have to say, I rather agree with the percentage layout. We're probably not going to default in months. Years, that's where my money, that, that's what I'm betting on. And what he says about individual Americans and states of the United States and the local, the local places, like the cities and towns and hamlets and villages and whatnot in the United States. If we do it right, they'll be fine. It's the federal government that has caused this issue. And it's the federal government that really needs to be excised like the cancer it is from the United States. The only enemy of the states at this point is the United States federal government. They don't know what they're doing. I don't even have to believe that they're evil to understand that these guys should not be any, anywhere. Cl- it's like asking a three-year-old to go start a bonfire. Don't do that. The three-year-old's going to get hurt. 
At this point, the federal government's running around with a freaking torch and a can of lighter fluid, and you just don't want to have anything to do with that. Three-year-olds don't make good decisions. The federal government hasn't made good decisions in decades at this point. But the states, the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution of the United States is literally the firewall between Montana, Texas, Florida, Nebraska, California, to the federal government and their three-year-old antics, okay? So I'm still optimistic. Yes, the whole thing, is the whole thing scary? Absolutely it's scary. It's frightening as shit, but it is what it is. And we know for a fact that there has never been a world reserve currency that is ever, that went to <clears throat> sorry that was that became structured a structured fiat currency that survived longer than what 150 175 years and we're right there you know i mean it's, it's like it's just ridiculous so how do you prepare i can't tell you that because I don't know what state you live in. I don't know what city you live in. I don't know how big that town is. I don't know what your personal finances are. I don't know if you own a home. I don't know if you rent. I don't know if you have a car, two cars, three cars. I don't know. And because I don't know any of that, I cannot say anything at all other than I would get out of the cities. Large cities are just, you don't want to do it. You just don't want to be there. If you can leave. I understand if you can't, okay? I'm not being malicious here. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, you're, it's going to suck for you because you can't leave your job. I get that. If there's any way that you can move even to the fringe of the city, if you're like in, a, in an apartment in the middle, you know, living on the 25th floor of a 50-story building in some massive city, that is exactly where you do not want to be. Can you move to the edge? Can you at least get that far out and not be in the core of the city? If you can do that, you will be better than living in, you know, a block away from Central Park in New York or, you know, half a block away from Dealey Plaza in Dallas. All right. So just try that. Learn how to grow food. And, you know, listen to Jack Spierko. <laughs> he's got a lot. He's got a lot better control and uh, foresight on this type of thing than I do. This is moving out of the cities is, wasn't my idea. I just fully agree with Jack Spirico when it comes to the fact that you don't want to be anywhere close to that shit. Now, <clears throat> on to politics and CBDCs. Ron DeSantis renews attack on CBDCs as part of woke politics. Ryan Ozawa has this one for Decrypt.co. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis took another swing at the U.S. digital dollar today, even as he defended crypto as a whole, unveiling a series of state legislative proposals that would combat woke politics. Quote, they don't like crypto because they can't control crypto, he said in answer to a question posed at a Tuesday press conference. Quote, they want to get rid of crypto, which my view is, if you want to invest in crypto, it's up to you. You can do it. You can make those decisions. They presumably refers to Democrats in Washington, D.C., who have, along with Republicans, made cryptocurrency a major policy issue. DeSantis suggests that his political opponents are pursuing the creation of a central bank digital currency, which would be issued, backed, and tracked by the government. DeSantis 
had previously announced a state bill to ban CBDCs, branding it as Big Brother's digital dollar. The danger of the digital currency is that they want to make that the sole currency. They want to put everything in a central bank digital currency, and I think that that's fundamentally wrong. So we're recognizing the dangers of this agenda, he said. The press conference was titled Government of Laws, Not Woke Politics, and was focused on a package of bills that oppose environment, social, and governance, or ESG policies. Such policies stem from a push to introduce factors beyond pure financial performance in evaluating companies and organizations. So-called ESG policies represent an attempt to impose Through the economy, an ideological agenda, the DeSantis campaign declared, saying that they, quote, prioritize woke ideals and virtue signaling over common sense financial practices, end quote. The legislative package blocks the use of ESG in all investment decisions at the state and local level in order to ensure that only financial factors are considered to maximize the return on investment. It also bans the financial sector from considering so-called social credit scores in banking and lending practices, a practice some link to a social rating system implemented in China. Another bill bans discriminating against customers for the religious, political, and social beliefs, and DeSantis says examples of the latter include owning a firearm, securing the border, or increasing our energy independence. The governor tied a CBDC to these woke practices by saying that proponents will impose ESG and social credit scores onto that. And that's going to be a huge reduction in freedom of the people of this country. I don't think Congress would authorize it. But if the Fed or the Treasury tries to do it unilaterally in Florida, we'll have a prohibition against that. That's ensuring your financial independence and making sure that we don't have a financial surveillance state where they know every transaction that you're making. In announcing the proposed ban on CBDCs in March, DeSantis said the digital dollar is all about surveilling Americans and controlling Americans. Quote, you're opening up a can of worms and you're handing a central bank huge amounts of power and they will use that power, he added. DeSantis has been a frontline warrior in the war against woke politics, currently firing up the National Republican Party. He remains embroiled in a high-profile battle with Disney, one of Florida's largest economic drivers and employers. The global entertainment giant spoke out last spring against Florida laws banning the inclusion of LGBTQ content in school curricula. In retribution, DeSantis is attempting to clip Disney's wings, calling it a woke corporation based in California. I don't do I like DeSantis? I don't know. He's a politician, so he's basically lying about everything. He also understands that there's enough swing voters of, you know, Bitcoiners and people in crypto that uh, could potentially get him in because we're, you know, we have a tendency to be single, single issue voters, you know, and, and every time that we vote for a guy simply because they say, I like Bitcoin, we get hosed. So I'm not. I'm not, I don't, I don't. The only thing that I care about is he seems to be a 10th Amendment guy, states' rights. That's all I really give a shit about because the federal government, they, you shouldn't allow them to light a fire, as I've said before. Now, over to Bhutan. Bhutan's DHI and Bit Deer 
raising $500 million to develop sustainable mining operations. So this is extending what was what I was talking about yesterday. Ezra Reguera has it for Cointelegraph.com. NASDAQ listed mining company BitDeer Technologies Group, and wait for who's the owner of that one, and Bhutan's sovereign investment arm, Druck Holding and Investments, have teamed up to create carbon, or sorry, eco-friendly and carbon-free digital asset mining operations in the kingdom of Bhutan. In an announcement sent to Cointelegraph, BitDeer and DHI said that they would launch the partnership by creating a closed-in fund with an approximate value of half a billion dollars. The firm aims to start their fundraising efforts at the end of May. Here it comes. Wait for it. BitDeer chairman, Jihan Wu. Yep. Yep, Jihan Wu. If you were wondering where Jihan went, well, it's BitDeer. He expressed enthusiasm about collaborating with DHI, and according to Wu, the company will work with DHI to utilize Bhutan's zero-emission energy to support blockchain technologies, yay, which will eventually establish an unchangeable foundation for a universal store of value. He also added that the fund will provide a platform to develop international stakeholder networks that will contribute to Bhutan's tech sector. Meanwhile, DHI CEO Ujwal Deep Dahal also expressed enthusiasm about collaborating with BitDeer on the project, and he explained that DHI's goal is to enhance the lives of the Bhutanese people and believes that the partnership with BitDeer is a step toward a more sustainable domestic economy. And then they get into what I was covering yesterday. Uh, so Jihan Wu, do you trust this guy? No, no, no. And if you don't know who Jihan Wu is, he was the main guy behind Bitmain the miner man the bitcoin mining manufacturer right they the 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 whole uh ant miner series of mining that all came out of bitmain and jihan wu was on top of the world in 2017 and he completely screwed it he aligned himself himself with the big blockers and roger roger ver and all the rest of them the new york agreement the whole deal and if you weren't there in Bitcoin, hanging around for that, that was a really tumultuous time. I have absolutely no faith that Jihan Wu is going to do the right thing because he didn't before. There's no reason to think that he'll do it now. I would highly, highly, highly recommend keeping an eye on Bhutan and see just how far the shit down the shit coin rabbit hole they want to proceed. But until that time, we've got other fish to fry. Reviving Argentina's economy. Dollarization and Bitcoin as catalyst for change. This is written by who? Carlos Cardenas for BitcoinMagazine.com. <clears throat> Argentina is on the verge of financial collapse as record inflation and the Argentine peso devaluation hits the market. According to research from Steve Hankey, a professor of applied economics at Johns Hopkins University, the peso has depreciated 47% against the dollar. And inflation is running higher than 118% per year. His solution? Dollarize the economy. While dollarization is already in play in Argentina to some extent, the peso is still the de facto currency of the country. The dollar blue rate, an informal measure of the cost of buying and selling a physical dollar bill in Argentina, has risen 23 times since 2018. At the time of writing, it sits at 465 ARS to 1 USD. 
Factors such as the rising cost of living, bad economic practices, and the COVID-19 pandemic have led to this outcome for Argentina. Pundits, politicians, and local citizens are advocating for full-fledged dollarization as the solution, but <clears throat> is this the best, best method or can we find something better? Given the inherent problems with the United States dollar, perhaps a hybrid approach that implements the superior qualities of Bitcoin could serve Argentina better. To analyze this, let's look at Ecuador which was one of the first Latin American countries to leave its national currency, the Sucre, and adopt U.S. dollars in 1999. And by the end of that year, 1999, inflation in Ecuador had reached 60%. And the Sucre had devalued by about 300%. To prevent bank failures, the government shut down banks and started to quote-unquote rescue the financial system. And as expected, this didn't work. And not only did poverty explode in the country, but the monetary base expanded by 552%. Consequently, Ecuadorian citizens abandoned the Sucre, and by 2000, the government officially adopted the United States dollar as legal tender. The short-term consequences for dollarization were dire. People lost their entire life's savings. Some committed suicide, and many left the country just to come to the United States and work, as well as in Europe. That immediate cost caused the government to collapse and the country to suffer a depression that eventually it recovered from. Now, fast forward, and as a result of dollarization, the real GDP of Ecuador grew by 75% in total from 2000 to 2013, while the inflation and interest rates dropped. This might have seemed like a happy ending, but due to corruption and, you know, mismanagement of resources, the full economic potential of Ecuador was never realized, and today it has a below average economy. Dollarization was very successful in Ecuador, such that it continuously posed a threat to politicians and central bankers. They no longer had the power to manipulate a currency, so... With the inspiration of blockchain technology, came up with a program to develop a central bank digital currency through a fintech program called Dinero Electronico between 2014 and 2018. Because there were no effective data controls, this program allowed the government to print more dollars and allow users to transact via their phones, thus creating a currency that operated in parallel to the dollar. This added to privacy concerns and a lack of trust that drove the program to crash and burn. <laughs> After seeing the initial success of the U.S. dollar in Ecuador, I do believe dollarization is the more prudent way that Argentina can go about fixing its monetary policy. However, Argentina can also officialize Bitcoin as legal tender in order to reduce the immediate shock to the economy, modernize its financial system, <clears throat> and offer alternatives. Mere years ago, Bitcoin was non-existent. Today, it has a market cap of well over $500 billion, and it is leveraged by sovereign wealth funds, hedge funds, insurance firms, tech firms, and retail users across the globe. And while institutional adoption grows, so do business opportunities across borders. Bitcoin's Lightning Network is now 1,000 times cheaper to use than major credit card providers like Visa and MasterCard. The potential for businesses relying on international capital and remittances would be huge and bring trust to the economy. 
Argentina also already has one of the higher indices of crypto adoption in Latin America with over 31% of the retail size crypto transactions being conducted with stable coins, a way for citizens to protect themselves from ARS inflation. In addition, over 60% of Argentinians believe that BTC has capabilities as a store of value with the power to outperform the peso. Most recently, Argentina's Comisión Nacional de Valores, its National Securities Commission, authorized the launch of a Bitcoin futures contract Ugh. that settles in ARS. In addition, Bitcoin is up 105% year-to-date, as quoted in Argentine pesos, reflecting the conviction that both citizens and the government have in the orange coin. There are many challenges that could slow down Bitcoin adoption in Argentina, such as the lack of infrastructure or regulatory clarity. Nonetheless, with a population that is already highly educated in crypto assets and in need of a lifeboat, Bitcoin hybrid dollarization might prove to be a better experience than Ecuador's. In addition, incorporation of Bitcoin adoption would deliver a better social contract between the government and its citizens. So Latin America is... As you might know, if unless you haven't listened to the show, um, I am more concerned with Latin America uh, in general and the continent of Africa than I am with the West's adoption of Bitcoin. Because honestly, it's not that we don't need Bitcoin in the West. We do. It's just that we are so distracted by the bullshit going on that we don't see it, right? And I'm just done trying to save people who who just refuse to see the water coming up the side of the boat because the boat's sinking. I'm kind of done. I need smart people. <laughs> I need to hang around smart people who are actually physically doing something about their situation and not just standing around wondering, I don't know, what they can be enraged about this morning. That's It's just all so tiring. So, Keep your eye on Latin America, keep your eye on Africa, but more importantly, for at least for me, I'm more concerned with Latin America, and beyond that, I'm intensely looking at Central America, because I get the feeling that that really is the linchpin for the Western Hemisphere, but I, I don't know. Everybody's wondering what the hell's going on with the mempool, though. Not the mempool, all the mempools, because there are multiple mempools. <clears throat> BRC20 tokens, that's what's going on. I brought them to you in, what the hell was it? What was the, let me see if I can find it again. BRC20, episode 695. Um, I brought to you the first inkling of the BRC20 token in an article. This one is written by Prashant Jha as an update We'll do what's going on with BRC20s. This is from uh, Cointelegraph. Bitcoin BRC20 token standard becomes a new destination for meme tokens. Bitcoin's BRC20 token standard has become the latest trend in the crypto ecosystem, especially after the Pepe meme coin rise in recent months. A total of 8,500 different tokens have been minted using the BRC20 standard, with the majority of these BRC20 tokens being meme coins such as Pepe and Memetic. BRC20 is an experimental token standard on the Bitcoin blockchain modeled on Ethereum's ERC20. It allows programmers to create and send fungible tokens via the Ordinals protocol. Okay, so that's where all this shit's coming from. 
Although modeled after ERC-20, the BRC-20 token standard fundamentally differs from Ethereum, its Ethereum counterpart. The tokens don't make use of smart contracts. The token standard also requires a Bitcoin wallet to mint and trade these tokens. The BRC-20 token standard was created in early March by an anonymous on-chain analyst called Domo. Domo, dumbass. <clears throat> the objective was to make it possible for fungible tokens to be issued and transferred on the Bitcoin blockchain. The market cap of BRC-20 tokens has exploded over the past month and currently sits at $120 million, which is a 600% rise in the past week alone. I know it hurts to talk about, but you, if you don't know what's going on with the mempools in general, I'm explaining to you what's going on. The token frenzy has also dwarfed the blockchain's original number of Bitcoin transactions. The number of BRC20 transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain between April 29th and May the 2nd reached over 50% outperforming regular BTC transactions. Along with the rise in BT BRC20 tokens, transaction fees have surged due to the new token activity. Since its inception in late April, the network has generated an additional 109.7 BTC in transaction fees for miners. So guess who doesn't care about BRC20s? Miners. They're in a they're in it for fees. Does that mean that I'm I'm an ordinal fan or a meme token fan or a bro RC, you know, 20 token fan? No. It's stupid. I hate it. But the miners don't hate it. Some miners probably do, but it's not like they're thumbing their nose at the fees. So game theory, people, it's game theory. This is just the way markets work. I I don't like them. But I have to live with them. We all kind of have to live with them. Anyway, the meme coin frenzy has been a notable topic on the Ethereum blockchain, but with the rise of the BRC20 standard, a similar trend is also observed on the Bitcoin blockchain. The meme coin craze has also led to a significant rise in Ethereum network gas fees contributing to network congestion. Well, you knew that shit was going to happen on Ethereum anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the, the real problem that I see that's that's being uh, generated by this fantasy land that we find ourselves in is this. <clears throat> I've gotten more than a couple of people on Nostra saying that ordinals is going to kill Bitcoin. No, it's not. Stop it. Just stop it. That is bullshit. Everything that has ever happened to Bitcoin. Small blocks were going to kill Bitcoin. Did it? No. Why? Because that was in 2017 and 2016. We're, we're done with that. Be, the launch of uh, Bitcoin Cash was going to kill Bitcoin. Did it? No, it didn't. Who's dead? BCH is dead. BCH then split into BSV and BSV was going to kill both BCH and Bitcoin. Did it? No, it didn't. With the So for all the people that actually believe that bullshit, stop it. You don't have to waste a single electron flowing down your neural pathways in your mind ever again about this shit. It is what it is, but it isn't killing Bitcoin. Even the federal government can't kill Bitcoin. Why? Oh, okay. Well, they'll just make it illegal in the United States. For all the people that leave the United States to go seek, you know, probably El Salvador, Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, and the rest of the Central American countries, 
the people left behind, they won't give a shit. I mean, find me. And sure, some people will go to jail, I guess. But dude, no. No, 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 no. It's going to be people like, you know, amazingly, people like Ron DeSantis. If he's not lying through his teeth, which he very well may be when it comes to the 10th Amendment, we'll just say no. This is what I would like to see. A state, let's call it Texas, says, you know what, we're, you know, we're basically going to be 10th Amendment. Uh, we're going to do what we want. And we're just not going to, you know, we're not going to, we're just, we just don't give a shit what the federal government wants. Well, I still got to pay taxes. Like, let's say I'm still living in Texas. I got to pay taxes. And one day I just decide to, you know, I don't know, not report a Bitcoin transaction or something like that. Then the federal government gets, finds out the IRS gets in a snit and they launch a squad against me. I want the state of Texas law enforcement to protect me against that. That's what I want. I want the, the local sheriffs to stand in, in the front yard and tell the FBI and whoever has come to apprehend me that if they do not leave and promise to never come back, and if they do, they'll just be shot on sight or something like that, <clears throat> that I'm not being arrested. Sorry, we're not going to allow you to arrest Mr. Bennett today. We're the sheriff. We will throw your ass in jail if you set one more foot upon this property. We're going to defend his property rights. We're going to defend his personal rights. We're going to defend his right for freedom under the 10th Amendment. We are Texas. You are the federal government. You have no place here. If that starts happening, I don't know, because that's not citizens going up against the United States. That's local and state-level law enforcement saying no to the federal government. And it's not like Texas hasn't done that shit before. They sent DPS officers to guard the front entrances of a couple of power plants down in Houston one year. You won't hear about that, though. You'll have to dig for that one. But that happened like 15 years ago, maybe a little over 10, somewhere around there. Yeah, the DPS was deployed to power stations against the EPA. And they were told the EPA, go home. Go wherever it is that you live, go home. You're not coming here. That's what I want to see. Will I see it? I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what what the hell I'll see on anything now. Okay, let's run numbers. Energy sector not doing well today. Everybody's anticipating what the hell the Fed's going to do. This this meeting has a different feel. This FOMAC has a very much different feel than the last couple of ones. Everybody's on pins and needles on this one. This seems to me, maybe this actually marks the turning point. And, and I'm not suggesting that, that Powell uh, changes his mind. I don't know what Powell's going to do. Nobody knows what Powell's going to do. Okay, so that's not the turning point that I, I mean. I think that this is the make it or break it for what the hell else comes in the future. If Powell decides to not raise rates. It's that's just in my opinion kind of kicking the can down the road. Um if he does raise rates it's going to break a whole shit ton more banks. And the more banks go under the less business can be performed because there's a credit crunch and nobody can get the liquid capital to be able to deploy to do the things that they want to do like build things that would what? 
require shipment of materials with diesel, which means that nobody's going to be burned. Not nobody, but you know, uh, Ooh, Ooh, hold on. Uh, just got breaking. I'm not, I won't do it though. Uh, or at least not yet. <clears throat> if they're not burning diesel, there's no reason to sell oil. That's why energy markets are depressed right now. And we'll start off with West Texas Intermediate, which is down four and a quarter to under $70 for the first time in a while, uh, $68.59. Brent North Sea is down a full four points to $72.34. Natural gas is down 4.7 to $2.11. Uh, gasoline is down likewise four and a third to $2.32 a gallon. Metals are mixed. Gold is up almost half a point to $2,032.20. Silver is up a tenth to $2,564. Platinum is down almost two points. Copper is down a half point and palladium likewise down half a point. Ag is what? Mixed with the biggest winner being wheat, 4.14% to the upside, followed by corn, 1.08% to the upside. Biggest loser today is going to be cotton. 1.65 just flipped. 1.7% down uh, for cotton. And, and all the livestock guys are getting hammered today. Live cattle down a half point. Lean hogs down almost two points. Feeder cattle down three quarters of a point. All the indices are moving sideways, except for the S&P mini, which is up almost a point. But the Dow is unchanged. S&P is up 0.2%, and the NASDAQ is up almost 0.2%. Breaking deposition of J.P. Morgan CEO Diamond and Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit set for late May. They're going to depose Jamie Diamond. They're going to depose him. What the hell does this mean? I have no idea. It would be pure conjecture on my part, so let's move on to facts. Fact is, Bitcoin is at $28,283.95. That's after almost half a million. No, I'm sorry. What? Hold on. Good Lord. A quarter of a million BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. I'm not even going to give you average and median transaction values because I don't think they're being calculated correctly in this environment. So we'll just go to block times being 10 minutes and four seconds. We got what? Uh, Woo. Is that a full Bitcoin? It looks like there's, hold on. Let me see if I can get that. It looks like there's one Bitcoin in fees on a per block basis and 142.5 BTC in fees in the last 24 hours. Ladies and gentlemen, I haven't seen it that high in a long time. I'm talking years, talking years. Hash rate has fallen by almost 21%. We're back down to uh, 320.8 exahashes per second, which is still plenty. Uh, Dogecoin, 7.8 United States pennies. So the rest of your, you know, shitcoin field is doing just about that. Market capitalization is $450.4 billion. That is 4.06% of gold's entire market cap. If you so choose, you can purchase 14.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,362,999 and a half of, and 5,413 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $153.6 million, being run over 73,842 payment channels that we know about. 65.7% of all that's over Tor. Looks like we have a point, a negative 
2% estimated difficulty change tomorrow on May the 4th be with you. Mempool from mempool.space, as you might imagine, is just jacked. <laughs> it's well over 110 blocks carrying 222,000 unconfirmed transactions are waiting to clear various mempools. Uh, everything, all transaction fees attached uh, that are below 3.69 Satoshis per VBot are being purged from an overfilled mempool memory. Uh, low priority cost is 19 Satoshis per VBite. High priority or next block transactions are 20 Satoshis per VBite. Going to cost you about 79 cents to get in. I saw I saw transaction fees yesterday that were like $415. I saw one dude get, you know, given 1300 bucks to just get his shit in. So take these transaction fees, these priority transaction fees with a grain of salt and do your own research, but I start at mempool.space. Uh Fountain, <clears throat> I have boostograms. Um I got sats McDuck with 21,000 Satoshis. Value for value. Show's been crushing it. Thanks, Sats. Bubba with 10,000 Sats of his own says, in between Livingston and Lubbock, then on to Prairie Grove. Uh, A, arrive Beef Summit. RV is moving. Uh, AR Beef Summit. Maybe he means Arizona because he. I think he's moving west from what I saw on a couple of other things. Fat Toshi with 7,779 Sats says, just a point of clarification, you love it. You said, quote, I control my node, I control Bitcoin. Well, I can't change the 21 million limit, end quote. However, you can. This is quite a subtle point that's taken me literally years to understand. There is nothing to stop you issuing more coins. We can get together and give ourselves 21 million Bitcoin each, fire up our nodes, and go to the races. We just have to convince all of the other node operators, miners, merchants, exchanges, institutions. Think about it like this. There is no one mempool. Using the term the mempool is a convenient abstraction that isn't strictly true, but is often good enough to explain some point or another. Similarly, there is no one Bitcoin. This is why it can't be stopped. It doesn't exist in one place. What we call Bitcoin is actually the collective code Though, uh, though, and actions of a cloud of individuals and institutions. Oh, I think he meant through actions of cloud of individuals and institutions. Saying the Bitcoin network or 50K sats is a convenient abstraction. End fart. And that was his second, second boostogram with 7,778 Satoshis. Pitar with a full striper boost says few people understand how much of a game changer large flexible loads are to bulk power system operators. This service is in high demand across all corners of the globe, not just Texas. The reason it started in Texas is because ERCOT has one of the most forward-looking wholesale electrical markets in the country. This bill, 1751, is a twig standing in front of an avalanche. Don't lose sleep over it. Yeah, Pitar, you're probably right. Nick underscore dose with 2345 says, cheers. C.A. Danner with 2121 says, if any Bitcoin and fans are going to the Miami conference, check out the art gallery and say hi to C.A. Danner and Sal Storm, two artist friends who met getting their MFA, that's Masters of Fine Arts, together and fell down the rabbit hole in 2017. We love chatting about Bitcoin and art. Dubrovko with a thousand says, two things come to mind. One, 
Coinbase's chicanery, that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons that history has to teach, says Aldous Huxley. B, I don't remember, and Roman numeral number three, SBF got to start finding arbitrage between the U.S. and Japan market for BTC and getting someone to allow him to change in for dollars to keep that going. No value to the world. Quote, a fool and their money are soon parted. People like him look at plebs like us and actual rubes as an arbitrage opportunity. Couple that with him being in the effective altruism community, he sees it as his duty to separate as much money from the plebs as possible so that he can spend it as wisely as possible. I remember point number B. (laughs) Now, Hearst was paramount in the illegalization of cannabis as hemp was a strong competitor to wood pulp in many of the products it makes paper fabric etc winemakers did something similar to wormwood oil alcohols like absinthe propaganda etc yes he's actually right if it wasn't for william randolph hearst if it wasn't for him in the 40s i think is when this happened uh marijuana would never have been made illegal because before that it was legal and he's right hemp makes some fabulous fiber and what it's fast growing and what else it's disease resistant and what else oh it's drought resistant not that you i mean if you really harsh on a crop of you know fiber hemp yeah you can kill it but honestly no pests like it It doesn't really get any kind of disease except for mold. And you do want to watch out for that, but that's just making sure that you don't, you're not overwatering or understanding that if you have like days and days and days and days or weeks and weeks of rainy weather and it's always overcast and the plant can't dry out, you're kind of hosed unless you really want to spray it down with fungicide. I don't recommend doing that. Just plow it under plant again, because you can plant this crop. It grows fast. It's drought resistant, it's disease resistant, it's pest resistant. And when you make fiber out of hemp, you can make all kinds of neat shit. And that was, in fact, directly responsible for William Randolph Hearst getting pissed off about marijuana, pulling the strings that he was able to pull and get Congress to make that shit illegal. And he did. And he didn't ever have to compete with hemp against his own forest reserves that he owned that he his timberlands to make paper because he wasn't just selling paper to his own newspapers he was selling paper to all the newspapers and hemp was directly competing with him on the open market and he used government and government's ability to jail people at the end of a gun and commit violence on its population to do his bidding. He's a, he was a dick. Let's be very clear. And if you ever wondered about that whole, um, oh, what was the movie that, um, oh, was it HG? No one, HG Wells. Oh, Orson Wells did a movie about William Randolph Hearst. Uh, his sled's, his sled's name was Rosebud. Name of the film is Citizen Kane. It doesn't directly talk about William Randolph Hearst by name, but it's very clear in the movie who Orson Welles is targeting in that movie. And that pissed William Randolph Hearst off as 
William Randolph Hearst off as well. All right, so uh, let's see, what else do we got here? I think that's it, that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the snooze that you can use. Reading this one from BTC Times. I haven't read one out of them in quite a while. Walker V is writing this one. Noster, all your advertising models are broken. The modern advertising model on centralized social media platforms is, to put it mildly, a shit show. It's annoying for users, gives barely any monetary value to creators, and is questionably effective for the advertisers themselves. So what's the problem? Social media platforms collect vast amounts of user data, and they use that data to offer companies quote-unquote targeted advertising, allowing them to spend their marketing dollars to deliver ads to specific audiences based on their demographics, interests, and behaviors. While this model might be beneficial for some companies, and certainly for the platforms who are selling the ad space, like Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, etc., it is a disaster for social media users. The entire model relies on extracting as much information as possible about users and bombarding them with algorithmically chosen ads. It's a nightmare for data privacy, and it ruins user experience. Additionally, value creators on centralized social media platforms rarely receive any compensation for their content being used as the vehicle for targeted advertising. If they do, it's a tiny fraction of the amount being spent by the advertiser, with the majority of marketing dollars going to the social media platform. The more they pay, the more visibility their ad will receive. A truly free market. So let's imagine a new advertising model where advertisers could pay content creators directly to get their ads featured on the creator's post. No middlemen to take a cut. Just an advertiser giving value directly to a creator so that their ad will be seen alongside top-tier content produced by the creator. This would reduce costs for advertisers and increase value given to creators simultaneously. Sounds great, right? Now, imagine this all happens on an open decentralized protocol, and the value given to the creator is an internet native money sent and received at the speed of light. Well, you don't have to imagine it. This is all possible right now on Noster using Bitcoin Lightning Network. I'm calling this new model Zapvertising. <clears throat> so how does Zapvertising work? For those who are unfamiliar, a Zap on Noster is a Bitcoin payment made directly to the creator of a note sent via the Lightning Network. It's a way of giving value for value, and many Nostra users on Domus are already using Zaps exclusively instead of likes. You can watch Zaps in real time on zaplife.lol if you want to do that. When you Zap someone, you, can't opt, you can opt to send a reply with your Zap. This could be a simple message, an image, a video, a link to your website, etc., etc. Zaps on a note are ranked with the highest zapped amounts at the top, so the more you zap, the higher up in the zap list your comment will be. Over the past few weeks, I've tried the zapvertising model out for myself with my website, Footster. Whenever I send a zap, I include the link as a comment Without posting the website link anywhere but on Noster, it's already received thousands of unique visits. Holy shit. 
For those of you who are not familiar with Footster, it's a viral nostal, Noster trend I started with where people post pictures of their feet with the hashtag Footster. Yes, it's absurd, but its purpose was to showcase the potential for trend virality, virality on Noster and to test out the effectiveness of Zapvertising. So let's go deeper. Naturally, there are some potential drawbacks to this. For example, given Noster is an open protocol, anyone could advertise anything on a creator's post by sending them a zap, including a product or service that the creator personally finds abhorrent. However, this is also a problem with the legacy advertising model. Creators on Twitter have zero control, and I mean zero control. Hold on for a second. I got a eyelash stuck in my eye or something like that. Ah, live shows. What are you going to do? Creators on Twitter have zero control over what ads are shown to followers on their post or on their profiles. At least with the Noster model, the creator actually gets paid. The Noster Zapvertising model creates a truly free market for advertisers while allowing creators to simply keep doing what they're doing. Creators don't need to be blatant shills for brands. They just have to create high quality content people find valuable and companies will naturally want to Zapvertise on their posts. In contrast to influencer marketing, Noster marketing doesn't require creators to sell their souls and shill products that they don't believe in just to make a quick buck. However, if a creator sees that your company is zapping a lot of people, they may decide to create content that promotes your brand with the hope that you will in turn zap them for the value that they've created. Companies can also use zaps as a way to directly target a specific person who they want to see their product. These types of zaps would be higher in volume and have a lower value attached given your goal is simply to be seen by the receiver, not to get your message to the top of the zap list. Additionally, companies that zap Nostra developers will receive dual benefits. Number one, you will be viewed positively by the Nostra community for supporting open source developers, building solutions used by a worldwide community, and two, you can embed any brand message you want in your zap to increase visibility. Zapvertising will allow companies to support people building open source freedom technology and gain greater brand recognition in one fell swoop. Zapvertising is bigger than just ads. So far, I've focused on the companies promoting themselves and their offerings via Zapvertising, but the potential is so much greater than that. Are you a content creator who wants a, a prominent figure to see your latest video? Zap it to them. Are you a nonprofit who wants to get visibility on your latest campaign? Zap the link. Are you hosting an event and want people to sign up? Zap the form. Are you a developer who wants people to beta test your app? Zap the invite. Are you crowdfunding an idea on Geyser and want to drive traffic to your donation page? Zap it around. Are you a startup founder who wants Jack Dorsey to take a look at your project? Zap it to him. Zap replies versus regular replies. Why is Zapvertising superior to ordinary replies in terms of gaining visibility? There are currently no algorithms to boost your reach on Noster. Notes are all chronological. So when you comment a link, image, etc. on a high traffic note, chances are that the comment will be lost immediately in the deluge of other comments. With zapped comments, you can guarantee that your link will stay at the top of the list because zaps are ordered by amount with the highest value zap at the top. 
Zapping is also a great way for people to discover your profile on Noster. People pay more attention when there is value received. Additionally, simply commenting your link repeatedly on different posts is no different than spam and will not be well received. But when you attach value to your message by zapping it, you are directly paying the note creator to see your message with the added benefit that others will see it too. Thanks to sites like zaplife.lol and primal.net, zaps are the closest thing that we have on Noster to trending discovery. On Noster, value is the algorithm. Let me repeat that. On Noster, value is the algorithm. If you're not yet on Noster, you may be thinking, oh, that's nice and all, but isn't Noster pretty small? I mean, how much reach can I possibly get? That's a fair question. Noster only popped into most people's radars December of 2022, but the network is growing rapidly. There are very few businesses using Noster right now, so you have an opportunity to be an early adopter and set yourself apart from the competition. Users are also highly engaged compared to centralized platforms, and a massive amount of monetary value is already moving across the network. According to Primal.net, there are almost 500,000 active users on Noster, over 600,000 zaps sent, over 7 Bitcoin zapped, and approaching 100 million total events. All of this growth and value transfer happened organically. No CEO calling the shots, no marketing team, no investors, just, just ordinary people around the world opting into an open network because they believed it might be better than their walled garden. Gradually, then suddenly, every new idea seems crazy until it isn't. If I would have told you in November of 2022 that in less than six months, we'd have a viable value-for-value workflow for Bitcoin built on top of an open, permissionless social media network, you'd probably have laughed and gone back to tweeting. But that's exactly what we have now with Zaps on Noster. The rate of development on Noster is something to behold, and it's thanks to the open nature of the network. On Noster, no one needs permission to build something that might change the world. Will Zapvertisements change the world? Probably not, but they might make it just a little bit better. Whether you're a company or just an individual promoting a project, Zapvertisements allow you to give value and get value in return. For those of you who have been using Noster for some time, you may be thinking, why is Walker trying to encourage companies to advertise on Noster? We don't want any corporate crap in our immediate immaculate protocol. I'll tell you why. It's the best way to bring more attention and monetary value to the network, drive more zaps to developers, and incentivize creators to try Noster. As the network grows in value, value accrues to each user on the network, especially to early adopters. If you believe, as I do, that Noster will be the dominant protocol for social media and much more in the years to come, then it logically follows that every company will need to have a Noster strategy as they have social media strategies across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok today. Personally, I would like to see as much monetary valuable as monetary value as possible flowing into Noster to give developers a fighting chance at remaining independent. And I think Zapvertising is one way to achieve that. The purpose of the article, this article, is to share a vision of how we can change the current advertising paradigm by using Noster to make Zapvertising the norm. Okay, that's the end of 
that's the end of the uh, uh, article. And holy shit. This one, you're going to need to read this one again. Because I know that I have to read this again. I didn't realize, this, this is what I love about doing cold reads. And if you didn't know that about me, I don't preview the, most of these stories. I just read them cold. I don't know how long they, well, okay. I do know how long they are because I scanned that part. But I haven't re- pre-read them. I didn't pre-read this. I think, I, I look at, because I have to set the show up fairly fast. I don't want this to be an all-day deal. I mean, for some things, it needs to be all day. For other things, it just I just need to be able to produce it so I don't pre-read it. So I've gotten good at cold reads. And every once in a while, I'm in the middle of reading something when I'm like, holy shit. And this is one of those oh shit moments. Now, I have seen people, you know, I, I saw people talking about Zapfertising on Noster and I didn't look into it. Uh, some of the people were had some bad things to say about it. Other people were f- fairly neutral. Otherwise, I just saw Zapfertizing as a as a hashtag. But there were quite a few people that had some pretty sinister shit to say about it. What do you want us to do? At one point or another, people have to put food in their mouth. And if they're not earning either Bitcoin or US dollars or I don't know, Swiss francs, whatever it is, then they can't do that, all right? It's, we're coming to the end of everything on the internet is expected to be free. We're, we need to move past that. And it's no wonder that we, ever, that we all thought that because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Well before the internet was even a thing, we had television and, and, And before that, we had radio. How many people in 1938 was buying a subscription to ABC radio stations? None. Your outlay was to buy the radio. Whatever you listened to came free of charge. Advertising was born there. Now, it's not like, I mean, modern advertising was born there. It's not like they didn't have advertising before that. They certainly did. But... Modern advertising as we know it today, the whole model was born in radio. And then it got transferred to television. Before HBO, there was something called Channel 100. I think that, I'm, if I remember right, it was actually Channel 100 that became home box office. That, that's where we get HBO because that's what HBO stands for, is home box office. That was the first channel that you paid for, and it was called cable. It was this new thing. Before that, we had four channels. We had NBC, ABC, CBS, and PBS in the United States. That was over the air, and you paid for none of it. So the only way that they were able to make any money at all was what? Showing you Timex watch commercials and freaking Tums or Rolades, you know, or what Alka-Seltzer. You know, I mean, we're talking like back in the old, old, old days. Whole television shows were sponsored by companies like Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. What do you think Mutual of Omaha is or was? It's an insurance company. That was the model. That was a model that was pulled directly out of radio. That advertising model of just being the sole sponsor of a show. 
And they paid for everything. They paid for Merlin, Marlon Perkins, his pay, his travel, his clothes, his food. They paid for the cameras. They paid for renting the station. They paid for the post-production. They paid for broadcast costs. They paid for the whole thing because the only advertiser that Marlon Perkins had was Mutual of Omaha. It was Wild Kingdom was the name of the show. But you never said it that way because the advertising was so effective. It was Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. They owned it. Apostrophe S, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Right. So viewers have been trained since the 20s and the 30s that they didn't have viewers and listeners. Okay. Consumers. Let's just say consumers. Got used to not paying for shit since the 20s. Fast forward to today, that model's dead. And if it's not dead, it's dying. We need to really get used to saying, I find value in what you do. Here is some of the value that I earned because some, some, the, some of the things that I did earned, somebody thought that that was valuable and they gave me their value in trade. And I'm now giving it to you because I think what you do has value and I want your good or service. If we don't start if we don't start seriously reconsidering how we consume and who it is we consume from, then we're going to be sitting in this cycle for decades and honestly this is not a good place to be. And I'm not talking about just internet and shit being free. I'm talking about the whole world thinking that everything should be free. This is an infection. And we need to get rid of it. We need to kill it with fire. I highly recommend that you go back and you read this. If you need to find the, if you need to find the link, it's, it'll be in the show notes. But it's named Noster colon, All Your Advertising Models Are Broken, written by Walker V from btctimes.com. That's btctimes.com. It was an April 30th publication. Okay. So this is back in April, you know, right? April, April. So just be aware if you want to go find it again. Um, Noster transaction broadcast, Bitcoin transactions over Noster quote. And this, by the way, this is no bullshit Bitcoin or no BS Bitcoin.com. No BS Bitcoin.com. Um, trying to work some new material into the show here. And they have released this quote unquote article. No bullshit. Bitcoin is a little different when it comes. It's not really like Cointelegraph or, you know, it's nothing like Coindesk. Thank God. Nothing like Bitcoin magazine. It's, it's different, but it's content. And I ran across this, thought it was cool. Noster transaction or Noster TX broadcast is a tool that listens to Noster relays for Bitcoin transaction events and then broadcast them to the Bitcoin network. Noster TX broadcast is an implementation of Noster protocol NIP476. That is NIP476. Noster transact TX broadcast does the following. One, it generates a set of Noster keys. Two, creates a Noster client and adds multiple relays. Three, it connects to the relays. Four, it subscribes to Bitcoin transactions with a custom event kind 
28333. That's 28333 from the relays. It listens for incoming Bitcoin transactions and decodes them. And finally, it broadcasts the decoded transaction to the mempool.space API. Um, kind of fixed privacy right there. I Okay, it didn't fix it. It gave us another, this is giving us another channel to blind what the hell I'm doing. Instead of sending the transaction directly from, I don't know, from my wallet, it looks, now I'm not sure about this, so somebody dig into this shit for me. Let me know what you find out, but this looks like a way to send a Bitcoin transaction from somewhere from somewhere other than me. If you get my drift, it's just an event. Like a kind one event in Noster is what we're all used to. Where I say, ha ha, look at this funny Pepe. And then I just put in pepe.gif and no picture or something like that. Just the, the just solid text. That's kind one. This is kind 28333. It has a specific kind and it's a Bitcoin transaction. I cannot wait to see what this does. I cannot freaking wait to see what this does. But we've got other things to talk about. <clears throat> Stacker.news, if you're not uh, using Stacker.news, I highly recommend that you take a look at it. I use it every day. Um, I'm always posting the show up on it and, and scanning for stuff. But they have introduced kind of like subscriptions. And that just means go to Stacker.news and there is a drop down where you can go to home and see, I guess, everything. Or you can go to jobs and just see posts about Bitcoin jobs. Or you could go and see just posts about Bitcoin because the drop-down list has that, but they've added Noster. And they had to do that because there was so many Noster things being posted to Stacker News that it started getting pasted all over the top 10. That's how popular Noster is becoming that even Stacker News said, okay, we're going to have to break this out. There's got to be Bitcoin content. There's got to be jobs content. There's got to be Noster content. And then there's just got to be like, if you just want to see it all, you can just go to home. So be aware, Stacker.news has just implemented that. I love those guys over there from Austin. Now, Coinbase is sued for privacy violations over users' biometric data. This was hinted at yesterday, I believe, but it looks like we're uh, it's, it's actually formalized now. Crypto exchange Coinbase is being sued for the unauthorized collection of improper use or and improper use of customers' biometric data and for violating the state of Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act, according to a lawsuit filed yesterday with the district court in California. Plaintiff Michael Massell is seeking $5,000 in damages for every intentional and reckless violation of Illinois' Biometric Information Privacy Act and a further $1,000 for each other violation his legal team can find. The suit alleges that Coinbase's collection of biometric data through its Know Your Customer practices, in this case, fingerprints and facial scans, were unlawfully obtained, used, stored, and disseminated. According to the BIPA rules, a company wishing to collect biometric data has to inform a person in writing that such data is being obtained, including the specific purpose and length of term for which the data will be stored. 
Written consent is also required from the customer and the company has to publish publicly available written retention schedules and guidelines for permanently destroying biometric identifiers and biometric information. The suit argues Coinbase does none of the above when collecting customers' biometric data both before and after creating new accounts. According to the suit, Coinbase had no legal right to collect and store the data, so the facial recognition data collected prior to opening an account should have been destroyed after the company the customer's accounts were opened, as should the fingerprint data whenever customers log out. Furthermore, the suit claims that Coinbase collects biometric data to further enhance Coinbase and its online app-based platform, and in doing so, wrongfully profits from the data. Lastly, the suit alleges that Coinbase disclosed redisclosed or otherwise disseminated plaintiffs biometric information to numerous third parties including but not limited to Jumio Corporation, Onfido Incorporated, Autix LTD, Solaris AG and Liquid Company LTD. Decrypt has reached out for to Coinbase for comment and uh, we'll update the article should they receive a response. So that's all we need to know about that one. Um, if that's just adding pressure for Coinbase to move. And I don't, you know, I mean, at this point, I, I don't like Coinbase, okay? And I, I don't like Brian, you know, Armstrong, but I wouldn't blame him if he just said, you know what, I'm, I'm just done. Who wouldn't be at this point? Hey, you're getting sued left and right. I mean, yeah, did they screw around with this KYC shit? Yes, and nobody likes that. I get it. But with the F, with the SEC on their back and Wells notices having to be answered for and this guy out there suing him in California for breaking the state of Illinois' law, which I still don't understand, but I guess it can be done, I would leave too. So like I said, I expect Coinbase to be completely gone and in the Maldives or Bermuda by mid-2025 at the very latest. They'll probably have a Coinbase.us. Now, on to Robert F. Kennedy. Everybody's favorite guy right now. Do I trust him? No, I don't. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. wades further into crypto following anti-CBDC remarks. Andre Bogansky for Decrypt.co. Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. came out swinging on behalf of the digital assets industry on Tuesday, criticizing what he called a war on crypto following early rem earlier remarks he made opposing a United States central bank digital currency or CBDC. Kennedy, who officially announced his 2024 presidential bid last month, said that the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and the SEC have no authority to wage an extra-legal war on crypto that leaves major banks as collateral damage. Referencing an article written by Ellen Brown titled, quote, How the War on Crypto Triggered a Banking Crisis, end quote, Kennedy said Brown makes a strong case that a government-led campaign against the digital assets industry led to several historic bank failures in March, specifically Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Silvergate Bank. <clears throat> Whether or not there's a concerted efforts to up uproot crypto from the U.S. financial system is a contentious topic. Barney Frank, an ex-congressman who sat on the Signature Bank's board of directors, said the institution was shut down to send an anti-crypto message. A New York regulator has denied those claims. Regardless, Kennedy's comments mark an increased focus on the digital assets industry as he claims to as he aims to dash President Joe Biden's re-elections hopes. Now, Joe Biden's just hoping to find the bathroom without shitting himself. That's what he's hoping for right now. And 
Though he's been described as a fringe candidate, his remarks capture how crypto has become a hot-button political issue as the forthcoming election cycle kicks into high gear. Comments Kennedy made last month in opposition of a CBDC paralleled those of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The Federal Reserve issued clarity days after Kennedy's anti-CBDC remarks saying that the launch of its new FedNow payment system is neither a digital currency nor a replacement for cash, which Kennedy appeared to conflate with a CBDC. While certain Democrats like Elizabeth Warren have slammed crypto numerous times and made criticism of the industry a key pillar of their political platform, others like New York City Mayor Eric Adams have been vocal in their support of the nascent asset class. Eric Adams doesn't give a shit. He just said that all that stuff to get votes and apparently it works because he's, you know, mayor of New York and he's, <laughs> he can barely speak. But Republicans lately have been more willing to publicly align themselves as advocates of crypto, whether that's lawmakers like Tom Emmer from Minnesota or Ted Cruz from Texas. In March, Emmer himself accused the FDIC of weaponizing instability in the banking sector to purge legal digital asset entities in the United States. And just last week, Cruz criticized CBDCs himself, saying that they're designed to destroy all the value of Bitcoin. All right. So I don't I honestly think that that's a bit hyperbolic. I think that the failure of those banks was more directly related to the Federal Reserve raising interest rates and depressing the value of the World Reserve asset class that is bonds that all these banks hold and that that is what really did the damage. I'm sure that the crypto aspect of this whole thing didn't help because there was some definite chicanery going on as far as the government saying you can't do business with this bank because of crypto and blah, 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 because that was going on. But I don't think that that was the fundamental cause. No, this is the Federal Reserve. Those banks would be just fine if it was just the crypto aspect. Like somebody say, like government saying, well, we really want you to change your business practices. And six months from now, you better have no business with Bitcoin or any other crypto based business. You got to close their accounts. They would have been fine but they weren't fine. It had nothing to do with crypto. Like I said, it didn't help, but the real perpetrator here is the Federal Reserve. That's what's caused all the damage and the damage is continuing today. More banks are folding. More banks are folding. It's just, it's gonna go on and on and on. I still think that they're going to try to cover it up by rolling the failures out at a slower pace instead of showing us just how big the fire is in the dump in in the dump site but i could be wrong they may not be able to contain it at all we'll we'll just have to wait and see oh uh, what do we want to do do we want that one no we do not want that one and no we don't want that one either okay so i'm just going to end it here we're going long uh that's going to be it for the morning roundup Let's just go ahead and end it here. Uh, there's not really any reason to do any kind of jokes, but I but I do want to get back to this one. Um, I want to make sure that I remind you that this, I think that of all the things that I've read this week so far, that this one is the most important. It's the BTC Times article, Noster, All Your Advertising Models Are Broken by Walker V. 
you've got to read this one and you've got to read it again and you've got to read it again. And then we have to start practicing. We start maybe even hit up Walker V on Noster himself because his pub key, it's it's in the article, so you can find him. Um, how do we do this? Well, we don't know how to do it until we start doing it. So what I'm going to do today is start by reading this article about four or five times and really wrapping my head around what this man is saying and then start performing the actions and see if anything actually works. Because you know me, I can't market my way out of a wet paper bag with holes in it. I mean that sincerely. The only reason I ever hit the charts on Fountain is because of you guys. You guys are better marketers for my stuff than I am. You know, I, and, and at one point or another, I want to start being able to do splits. That would be really cool if I could offer a split to somebody who was using that split money and taking half of that split money for themselves, but the other half they were using to do the stuff that Walker was talking about and blasting their own Noster events out with links to my show. And they're getting paid for it because the more stuff that I get coming in, the more people that are listening and giving boostograms and and um, streaming Satoshis, the more Satoshis are going to you know stream to that split. The guy on that split takes half and then spends the other half to increase that flow, which he gets more of. See how this goes? You guys could totally be my entire marketing department and I wouldn't be able to say anything about it. Think about that. You know, there's like, that's one of the things that I really, really like about Jack Spirico is he'll start doing stuff and then he just steps away. Like he'll start a group for about, I don't know, first responders and uh, you know, if a hurricane hits in Florida, he's got a whole bunch of first responders that are set to go into action. They've got an entire plan when this kind of thing happens. And then he just walked away. He doesn't administrate it. He doesn't tell people what to do with it. He just walks away and they do all the stuff and he doesn't, he's got shit to say about it. Even if he wanted to have something to say about it and he doesn't, the, the, the people won't let him saying, well, you're not here. You don't know what we're going through. Hey, thanks for starting the thing up. But you know, we, we've got our own road to hoe. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. I think that this Zapvertising piece is one of the strongest, thing that, strongest things that I've read about Noster in weeks. I have nothing but thanks for Walker V. I'm going to go zap him for this article because that's how important I think this article is. Will it prove to be invaluable? I don't know. Will it prove to have any efficacy at all? I don't know. But God damn it, I'm going to go find out. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.